Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Come on, Miss Ellie, we're going to go on the porch. I'm going to do some visiting with our listeners. Come on, let's go. I know it's not a beautiful day, but there's beauty in everything, isn't there? Come on. Come on, Missy. Here she is, Miss Ellie Mae. Good morning. It's Mary Stone and Ellie speaking to you from the screen porch, where it is a drizzly day. We have not had a very exciting winter in terms of snow weather. (laughs) You already know how much I love the snow. So this morning, I was starting my day, as I sometimes do, doing some journaling. I have had less time to do that these days because of work busyness and things, so um, it was a real treat. But before I sat down to do some writing, I glanced through a couple of children's books I spontaneously borrowed from the library, which turned into a column that was just published titled The Magic of Seeds, which starts with, Hello, fellow readers. The other day I read a children's book that came up when I searched for A Promise is a Promise in the Nifty Library Database. I don't recall why I searched the title, certainly not for a children's book, though I enjoy reading them from time to time. Maybe it makes me feel like a big kid. More to step back to the simple lessons in life that we forget about, you know. A Seed is a Promise by Claire Merrill tells the story that every seed is the promise of a new plant to come. We eat seeds like peas and lima beans, and the book explains that experiment we all grew up with, you know, the one where you put a lima bean in a paper towel that's all wet, and you look inside after a day or so and see the baby little plant growing inside. Something we should do as adults. I don't know. It's so cool. The little book gave a simple description of how the parts of the flowers make seeds, which always is astonishing to me. It named the pistil, the female part, though the G-rated book didn't describe it as such. It's usually in the center and includes the ovary and egg cells and the stigmas that capture the pollen. Then there's the stamen, the male part, which carries the pollen that fertilizes the eggs to make seeds. It's intriguing how some flowers have both a pistil and a stamen, by the way, that wasn't in the book, and others have only a male or female part. Some self-pollinate, but most use pollen from other flowers to produce seeds. Just goes to show they, and we, need each other. When the flower dies, it seems sad, but new seeds are growing inside the pistil, keeping their promise of a new plant to come. In the column, I do describe the difference between genetically modified seeds and hybrids because there is quite a bit of confusion about it and what I wrote is that genetically modified seeds do not hold the same promise without paying royalties to the manufacturers. Hybrids on the other hand are a cross-pollination of two different varieties of plants from the same species. It's a process that happens in nature. Plant breeders intentionally cross-pollinate plants to improve disease resistance, color, fruit size, or improve taste and yields. All good things without being genetically modified. Of course, once the seeds mature, many of them will drop by the mother plant, but then others will be transported elsewhere. And that's what made me reflect on the column I wrote a while ago called, We're All Just Seeds. 
This column was written, oh, a few years ago, I guess, in 2016, around Thanksgiving, and it starts like this. There's a country song written by Pat Alger and Ralph Murphy, sung by Kathy Matea, that I adore, and the title is Seeds. The lyrics talk about a story of how children are dreaming big of things that they're going to do, and you wonder if indeed they will continue to dream, but never do. And uh, and then it goes on to talk about somebody coming back into the lyricist's life and not apologizing for things that weren't accomplished and this accepting that we sometimes land in fertile soil and sometimes sand, which are part of the lyrics. And uh, one of the things as a gardener I kind of have to comment is sand can be a very effective place to grow. It's just a matter of adding some organic matter and choosing the right seeds. So there you go. Unlike people or animals with more freedom to seek out ideal places to live, plants rely on transport systems that evolved somewhat magically to find their way to where they can root and thrive. Late summer and fall, after a walk with Miss Ellie, I marvel and frustrate over how many burrs stick to her fur. I mean, literally, it's a, it's a project, and they're sharp, those little things, you know? Hundreds of them. These burrs are seeds designed to fall off their fuzzy or feathered hosts as they move along. Critters eat the abundance of seeds inside fleshy fruits that make their way out the other end <laughs> and are still viable to sprout. Then there are nut seeds such as acorns, walnuts, and hickory that critters store for future meals and forget about them. Hence, the nuts become next year's saplings. This I had never heard about until I was researching for this column that ants even play a role in dispersing seeds with plants such as trillium and bloodroot which have fleshy structures that provide food. Ants bring them back to their abodes, and the inedible part either germinate within the nest or where the ants discard them. Of course, there are seeds dispersed by the wind. There are maple trees with their winged seeds and milkweeds, along with the dandelion, which is my favorite. The seeds are attached with those fuzzy thingies. I have a beautiful memory of dear mom mischievously blowing dandelion seeds in defiance of those that consider these golden lawn guests a weed. You can eat all the parts of a dandelion, after all. They're full of nutrition, more so than kale and spinach, and the greens taste like arugula. Another reason to forego chemicals on your lawn. There's a trend for folks to send saliva samples for DNA testing to find their ancestry. I have to share this side story about DNA and testing. I was in the car with uh, Kurt the other day, and he had announced that he had his DNA tested, which I just think is kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know why people are so curious about it, but it is a trend, and he's invited me to do the same. I, frankly, um, I don't know. I just don't have an interest in it, which is kind of silly maybe, but um, he sent his saliva as well as Ellie's along for DNA testing, and uh, I just thought it was silly. I said, hey, you know, maybe you're going to come back a German Shepherd. <laughs> anyway, it turns out Ellie is full golden. I never thought she was because she's kind of small for a golden, and she has a spot on her tongue, but apparently she is a full golden. Though I would love her just the same if she were a mix. In fact, I marvel at how beautiful mixes of animal breeds can be, especially when they happen impromptu, you know, not by intentional breeding like hybrids of plants of two different varieties from the same species that happen in nature. They're just beautiful. Although hybrid seeds, which you can buy, don't always reproduce seeds that are going to turn into the mother plant. They may revert to their original species, which in itself is magical. 
Why do they call mixed breeds mutts anyway? Though I've often described myself as such, figuring I too, like most of us, are a mix of heritage. I looked it up. A mutt or a mixed breed dog is a dog that does not belong to one officially recognized breed and is not the result of intentional breeding. That was from Wikipedia, by the way. And so there you go. I am a mutt. <laughs> Aren't we all? Which is why I don't care about my DNA, frankly. <laughs> so back to the column. It turns out we are all very much alike. I suppose the health history of our lineage may be useful, but where we are rooted now is what matters. The most important is being rooted in the spirit of love. Again, I wrote this about Thanksgiving, so I ended with, it's all about love. Happy Thanksgiving. And by the way, Thanksgiving is every day. We should give thanks every day. Oh, I hear the neighbor's dog barking. Do you hear that? That's Coco and Ellie and Coco have this love-hate relationship for each other. They're both the same. They fear dogs, but they are dogs. I confess I once had a dreaded fear of dogs, so Ellie and I share that in common. For sure, my fear of dogs went along with me well into adulthood until a spontaneous adoption of a couple of pups years ago turned the fear around. You know, there's something about raising a puppy and having full trust and uh, growing out of that fear, which is still something that shows up every once in a while when I meet a dog on the trail that doesn't look too friendly, which is Ellie, frankly, when there's an oncoming dog, which is very embarrassing. Ellie must realize I'm talking about her. She's woken up and she's fidgeting around here. Yes, I once was afraid of dogs too, Miss Ellie, but I got over it. <laughs> oh, and another side note. I was in my mid-twenties when my mom and I were having tea one time, and she told me that her horse, Jack, bit my finger when I was two. And it occurred to me, maybe that's where the fear of dogs originated. Horses are very big dogs. <laughs> Getting back to the little children's books. A special part of the little book was the true story, per the author, of a miner in northern Canada who found animal bones next to the seeds in a tundra that were thousands and thousands of years old. Scientists were able to sprout some of the seeds. In time, the seeds grew into healthy plants. The plants grew flowers and then new seeds, each with a promise of its own. A happy conclusion of this charming little story. And while I couldn't verify the true story of the miner, there were other stories of remarkably old and resistant seeds that kept their promise. In Wikipedia, they talk about the oldest mature seed, meaning, you know, it was viable enough to create a sustainable plant. And it was about 2,000 years old. The plant was a Judean date palm found in a palace in Israel. As we plan for the growing season ahead and shop for seeds, reflect on the promise of new things to come and savor the magic. And while you're at it, why not feel like a big kid? You know, do that lima bean experiment. It's magical. Thanks for coming by. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. 
Have a great day.